Um, but continue praying for that. I know there's a lot of that going around right now, and, and even many in our fellowship who are struggling. And um, keep them in your prayers as well. So I'm glad, but I'm glad you're here. And if you're tuning in online, I'm glad you're here. Um, this was a series. I'm, this should be the third of the series, but since I missed two weeks, um, and Pastor Jeremy did a great job jumping in. It was not something he planned on, but thank him for doing that. Um, I've always told him in ministry, you better be ready in season and out because all it takes is a phone call and your world changes. Um, so let's start. Let's start. Um, let's begin uh, our series quoting a, a great theologian, uh, William Shakespeare. You're supposed to get that as a joke, by the way. But he said this, all the world's a stage. All the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. And there's some truth in that, in that poetic statement that Shakespeare makes, that the stage is unavoidable. Many of us try to. They, they tell us on the list of fears in the, that people carry public speaking, you know, being in front of people, having the spotlight on you is one of the things that we try to avoid the most, that, that many people um, shy away from. Now, there's those few weirdos who really like the stage, you know, and, and that's great. They have a special gifty that they can go in that direction and, they're, and, they, and they are comfortable in that. But if that's you, just know you're a little weird. It's not, it's not the norm. Um, but, but in reality, your life at various times, many times, you're on stage. Your audience may be large. It may be small. Your audience could be at home. It could be in your marriage, in your family. It could be on your job. It could be at school. It, it, it could be in your neighborhood. But you have a stage, and, and you're on, whether we recognize it or not all the time. You're, you're on, and you have a part to play. You have a role that you're to be accomplishing. And then as Christians, not only we are we on stage, but we're supposed to use our stage, whatever that stage may be, we're supposed to use it for eternal purposes, for God's purposes. The Bible says things like, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify God who's in heaven. Jesus said that. The apostle Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Peter says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. That, that, that means that we're not only on stage, but when we're on stage, eternity's attached to it in some way. Divine purpose is attached to it in some way. And that's how we ought to conduct our lives, with that awareness, with that understanding, and with that intent. We need Christians to step onto the stage of their world and represent the kingdom of God well. Amen? We need Christians in this day and age who know their part, who know the role that God has given them and has assigned to them, and they're prepared and ready with with. with um, unapologetically, with, with courage, with faith, step onto the stage of their world and fulfill the role that God has scripted for them, that he has scripted for you, that he scripted for me, so that we can really make an impact and change the world in which we live. The series that I've called Backstage, we're going to look at 
conversations that Jesus had sort of backstage, offstage, not necessarily amongst the crowd and, and in the great gathering or during his teaching and preaching, but offstage. And, and, and we're looking at them to, to see that how can these offstage conversations hopefully help our onstage performance in accomplishing the purposes that God has for us. We need to realize that we'll never live for him on stage any better than we live with him off stage. Amen? Follow that? We'll never live for him on stage any better than we live with him off stage. Okay, so let's go to our text for this morning. John, the book of John, second chapter. If you have it, go to your go in your Bibles there. The second chapter, we'll have it on the screen for you as well. Let's read through a well-known passage. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also, who was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. And then this is the first of his signs that Jesus did in Canaan, Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Father, I ask your blessing on your word today, the reading of it, the teaching of it, the hearing of it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would accomplish your will today. I pray that you open our hearts to receive, our minds to understand. I pray, Lord, that we all be changed and transformed by your word today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a wedding in Canaan in Galilee and says it's the third day in the Jewish calendar. That means it's Tuesday. Anybody here get married on a Tuesday? I didn't think there would be many. Um, why? Why were they married on a Tuesday? Now, this has really nothing to do with the message, but I found it interesting. On a Jewish, in Jewish tradition, um, the third day was, was Tuesday, and the reason they often got married on Tuesdays is because they go back to the, the account of creation. And as you recall, creation account of, in Genesis 1, it unfolds and it says the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. The evening and the morning was the third. And each day, if you remember, God pronounced that day to be what? Good, right? Every day, he did this, he created this, and he, and he looked at the evening and the morning, and it was good. But on the third day, had a double blessing. God said on the third day, actually two different times on the third day, that it was good. So it became Jewish tradition that that's the best day to get married. Because there's a double blessing that God pronounced um, at creation. And so the, 
there you go. Now you know. And, and if you ever renew your wedding vows, make sure it's a Tuesday. Um, but it's a wedding. Who, who doesn't like weddings? They're festive. They're fun. They're times of, uh, you know, family and friends all get together. It's a, it's a party. There's music. There's laughing. There's stories. There's, um, you know, there's ceremony. There's solemnity. There's celebrations of of life, celebration of relationships, celebration of love. Weddings are wonderful things. And so there's this wedding taking place, and it says they ran out of wine. Now, when we read that, um, we really, it'd be easy just to read it and just keep moving it and not even register much because to us, we think, so what? That, that's not a big deal. If you're, if you're having a party and you run out of something, what do you do? You, you go to Kroger's. Right? We used to tease, but my mom always liked food as fresh as possible. So when she was entertaining or we were even in just a family gathering, she would notice while she was preparing that, oh, she forgot this one thing. And so she would send my dad. Now, she always referred to my dad as, as Hun. And so we started, we nicknamed that. We said, oh, you got to make a Hun run. Which means he had to go to the store right away and get whatever to get it back so she could finish cooking. And, and, and that would happen almost daily, that, that my poor father would have to go on hun runs. Uh, but they couldn't do that. They, they didn't have those, that choice where they're out of wine. So, and, and, and they didn't have other choices as well. They didn't have, you know, well, let's use the Christian Assembly standard. They didn't have good strawberry iced tea to fall back on. You know, they didn't have 20 kinds of soda pop they could go buy. They didn't have all these options that we have. They had wine, and they didn't have a faucet they could just go turn on and draw out good, clean drinking water. Drinking water was very hard to come by. Even though there were streams and ponds nearby many times, oftentimes they were contaminated because not only did the people rely on those um, sources of water, but so did livestock so did wild animals and often those things had pollutants and the water wasn't drinkable or without or at least not without first having to treat it in a lot of different ways so having a mass quantity of of drinking water you know we we have people over and we have all the bottles lined up you know we we have drinking water everywhere we go not the case so when it says they ran out of wine it was a big deal it wasn't a small thing. It wasn't incidental. They were out of wine. First of all, it was a social embarrassment. You know, I grew up in an Italian home and have somewhat of an Italian mentality, especially when it comes to food. One of the worst nightmares you can imagine is having people over your house and run out of something. That's just a taboo. And so there's this social embarrassment that could take place. They wanted to be good hosts, and they didn't want their wedding day to be marked by everyone saying, oh, wasn't that a lovely day? Oh, yeah, too bad they ran out of wine. That was a nightmare to them, but there were also possible legal ramifications. Weddings there, remember, were contracted. It wasn't always about love and romance. It was two families who had come to a disagreement, and there were conditions in the contract. And in this situation, if the groom was failing to provide one of the things that he had agreed to provide, then there were possible ramifications to that action that he was going to have to be accountable for. And then, practically, there was just the effects on their celebration. 
that, that it was going to ruin the wedding, perhaps. Now, remember, weddings then weren't like we have today. That, you know, it's, you block out three or four hours and you go and you have the ceremony and then you have a reception and then everybody goes home. Weddings were seven days long. Okay? They're seven days long. Now, if you're having entertaining people for seven days and wine is your only beverage and you run out of wine, do you see a problem? People are going to get thirsty. And I don't know if you've ever really been thirsty, but there's one thing I've noticed about people that when they're thirsty, their, their wine turns to wine, W-H-I-N-E. They become grumpy. They, they become a little cantankerous. And so there's this jeopardy of, of the wedding itself just being ruined. So here's the dilemma. They ran out of wine, and the only remedy available to their problem was to provide that which they ran out of. And they didn't have the resources to do it. They didn't have the finances, probably. And certainly, they didn't have the time. They couldn't just suddenly go out and make a bunch more wine. And so they're in this problem. Now, at this point in our, in our story, this story becomes a parable for us. And, and that's how we're going to treat it as we move forward. Because the same dilemma exists in our world today. When the Bible talks about wine, wine is symbolic. It's symbolic of joy. It's symbolic of, of happiness, of celebration, of festive times. It's, it's, it's symbolic of, of a, um, abundance or blessing or fellowship. It's symbolic of, of life and fruitfulness. So, so wine had some, a, a lot of different um, I I indications. And it, wine talked about a heart attitude. Not, not just a, a substance, but a heart attitude. It talked about this, an inner sense of, of satisfaction, an inner sense of, of well-being, regardless of circumstances. That's, that's what wine symbolizes for us. And, and, and I can based on that understanding, our world has run out of wine. Our world has run out of wine. I don't know if you've noticed, but joy has dried up. It's hard to find things to celebrate. We're finding a lot of things to whine about, but it's hard to find stuff to celebrate. It's hard to talk about abundance and blessing and satisfaction in the third year of a pandemic. It's hard to, to, to not recognize that we've, we've, in a very real way, run out of wine and are quickly turning into a nation of, of, of whiners. But, but I don't want to go that direction today. I want to stay true to the text, and I want to stay local. In the text, this is Cana in Galilee, small little hometown, small little community. Probably pretty much everybody in the, in the town was at the wedding. This was, this was a community gathering. It was close family and friends. So I want to keep it personal today as we work through the, the message together. It, it, I, I want you to be thinking internally. I want you to think, are there areas in your life that you're dealing with today where you, you would say, I've run out of wine? Are there areas in your life where, where you're not as content today as you were at another time in life? Are, are there, is there anything in your life where... 
you know, there's, there's fear and there's uncertainty where there used to be peace? Is there any lack or loss that is creating a, a dryness or a thirst in your life? Could be financial, could be job-related, could be in a relationship, could be your health. Are, are you missing that inner resource of joy and strength and satisfaction and contentment that holds you no matter and regardless of the circumstance that you're facing? Do you feel drained and thirsty? Have you run out of wine somewhere? Is there a shortage of, of wine? So in, in dealing with that, let's go backstage with Mary. Let's eavesdrop on her conversation with Jesus. Just a couple of verses are, are covered, but a lot is said. Okay, so uh, typical me, I have three points for you that I want to pull out of the text. Uh, if you're taking notes, jot them down. Um, if you're not, jot them down anyway. All right, um, number one, dealing with this thing of running out of wine. Be where you are. Be where you are. First verse says that the mother of Jesus was there. Mary was there. Now, i got to make a confession at this point. I, I had to work this one through myself and continually revisit that, that I, am, I am guilty, and I have to work at being where I am. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? I have to work at I can be there but not present. Have you ever done that? Would you ever admit that you're guilty of that too? That, that you can be there, but not there. And, and it's, it's, I think it happens to all of us. And the problem is that if you let that persist, that there's important things in life and moments in life that are going to be at least diminished and maybe missed altogether simply because we're there, but we're really not present. We're not fully present. We find that Mary was fully present. She wasn't preoccupied. She wasn't divided. She wasn't double-minded. She was at the wedding. She was there. And she was engaged and she was involved. Now, I can't go, f I can't develop this, but let me give you three things about being fully present. I'll just, I'll mention them for your notes because um, I think they're important components of, of, of this point. N number one, attendance. Mary was there. She was in attendance. Can I tell you something? You will have very little impact on anyone's life if you don't show up. I'm talking, we're talking about just physically being present, not absenting yourself, not excusing yourself, not finding other way, places to be or other things to do, but being there. It's hard to have impact when you don't show up. You know, one of the side dangers of the coronavirus that, that has affected our country, uh, aside from the sickness and, and, and um, even loss of life, uh, uh, another of, of the, the tragedies of the pandemic is that it has kept people, prevented people, prohibited people from being able to be present, to be physically with each other. There's certain things that just don't translate virtually. There's certain things you miss if you're not there. There's tone, there's texture, there's body language, there's atmosphere, there's climate and environment that you'll only know about if you're there. So attendance is important. Secondly, she gave attention. You got to give attention. You can be there physically, but emotionally, 
mentally, intellectually, you'd be checked out. And we've all been at that point too. Mary was not only there, but she was engaged in what was taking place around her. Sometimes we can be in the same room, but, and that's wonderful, but that's only step one. Now we have to connect with the people we're in the room with, with what's going on around us. Can I tell you something? You carry, probably almost everybody in this room carries right now in their pocket or in their purse the biggest distraction in life. Right? And you've, you've been in those experiences. I've been in rooms where people, you know, there's five, six people in the room, and no one's talking, and everyone's on their device. Everyone's on their phone. They're doing something. They may be talking to each other. I don't know. But we're there. We're there, but we're not there. Amen. I got one. <laughs> we're there, but we're not there because of distraction. Because our, we're pulled away by other things. So attendance, attention, and then third, action. Nothing changes if you're not willing to do something. Nothing will have a different result if you're not willing to get involved. Do you know that the kingdom of God is a service industry? Did you know that? The kingdom of God is a service industry. Now, here's the problem we have as Americans. We think we're the ones supposed to get served. Read your Bible. We're servants. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the what? The servant of all. We are involved in the service industry and if we're not willing to get involved we can do the other two we can show up and we can be paying attention but if we're not willing to actually invest ourselves then we're not fully present and God is very limited in how much he can use us listen there was no miracle if Mary wasn't fully present nothing was going to change if she didn't attend give attention and, and was willing to act the wine would have not been replenished People would have continued in their thirst, and the party would have been ruined. All right? Point number two. Because she was willing to take action, look what she did. She told Jesus. She told Jesus. Usually when something happens in life, whether bad or good, it's interesting to pay attention to the first people you tell. Because the first people you tell are usually the people you know the best. Because the people you know the best are the people who you usually feel comfortable confiding in the most. And Mary went and ran to Jesus. She told Jesus. Now, it makes sense on a lot of levels. Most theologians believe at this point in time, Joseph was out of the picture, that her husband Joseph had passed away. And Jesus is the eldest son. So many, much of Mary's um, support and attention and, and reliance would have gone, been on Jesus and been with Jesus as he was growing up. Um, she also knew Jesus' story. She was around, remember? She hasn't forgotten her conversation with Gabriel, the angel. She hasn't forgotten the, the witness of, of her cousin Elizabeth when, when both of them as in, in preg, during pregnancy met, and, and there was a witness of the, John the Baptist who was, who was in the womb still of who Jesus was. She, she remembered the prophecy that Zacharias gave when John was born. She remembered what, what um, the, sh the shepherds said um, 
when they came to the manger. She remembered uh, about Simeon and Anna in the temple when they, when they brought Jesus to be dedicated. She remembered uh, a few years later when the, these wise men showed up at her house. She remembered all this. She knew who Jesus was. She had a relationship and a history with him. So here, she shows us a great habit in life, and the great habit is tell Jesus first. Tell Jesus first. That sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? But I'd have to stand in the line that would admit that I don't always do that. Sometimes when something happens, I tell someone else. Or I just run off and start acting and doing things that I think need, need done in, in, in order to respond. And I don't always stop to think, and wait, maybe I should talk to Jesus first. Maybe I should bring him into the equation first. And not just that, those eight-second eight prayers that, you know, on the run to do what we really want to do, we, we kind of appease our, our spiritual conscience by, by just, you know, oh, Lord, help me. You know, or giving some quick nod that, that we're including Jesus. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talk to Jesus about it. Lay it out. Tell him what the issue is. Tell him what you're thinking. Be, be open and ask him to share with you what he's thinking. What does his word have to say about this issue or this thing? I, you know what? I think if we would be in that, if we would do that habit, that habit would con control our lives. If we'd be better at thinking to do that first, I think it many times would change or at least shorten the potential problem. I really do. I, I think it would adjust um, how we respond after that conversation because we'll come away from it with the mind of Christ instead of just arm fond. We'll come away with a broader perspective because we've said it out loud and we've heard it to ourselves and we've opened our heart to hear what the Lord would have to say about it. Only good could come from telling Jesus first. Can I, listen, consider the risk. Think about the, the different stories you know in the Bible. Think of the risk if nobody tells Jesus. What happens if Jairus never tells Jesus about his daughter? What happens if Andrew never tells Jesus about the little boy with the loaves and fish? What happens if the, the four friends of the paralytic never think to tell Jesus about their friend's problem? On and on and on you go, you know, if we, if we went through Scripture, if we went through the Gospels, and we pulled out all the miracles that Jesus did that in order for them to happen, it meant somebody had to bring it and tell Jesus about it. If we took all of those out, how I many you know the Gospels would be a lot shorter? Our Bibles would be a lot thinner. What if we gathered today and, and nobody told Jesus about it? I've been praying about this gathering all week. I hope that you have. How many understand that maybe it would change our gathering if before every one of us came, we talked to Jesus about it? Lord, I pray your, your spirit moves in that in service today. Lord, I pray you speak to me sovereignly through your word and through the times of worship today. Lord, I, I pray your blessing upon our worship team and our leaders, and I pray for the, for the ushers and the greeters and the, and the Sunday school teachers. Lord, I, I pray that you would bless those people. Lord, I, I pray that you would use me to be an encouragement to someone else. What if we talked to Jesus before we came here? We, we believe in this stuff. It's not just spiritual talk. 
We have people praying, talking to Jesus on our behalf right now over in the prayer chapel because we believe that people's thirst can be satisfied by the power of a living God. Got to tell Jesus something Mary did right. She told Jesus. She told him first. Now, that's the good news. Mary tells Jesus, but here's where we have to do a little work. She didn't say what she meant. She didn't say what she meant. She went to Jesus and she said four words. They have no wine. Now, if she went up to anybody else in that room, probably they would have heard and said, oh, that's too bad. I wonder what they're going to do. It would have been information. Maybe even a little gossipy. And if you have a problem with gossip, then here's a good habit. Gossip to Jesus. And leave it there. So she goes, but she said what she didn't mean. They have no wine. That's not what she meant. Now, I don't know why we do that in relationships, but we all do. Every, every husband knows that are these your socks is not a question. It's not what's meant. Every child knows that when a parent says, in a minute, they don't mean 60 seconds. We know that's one of my mom's favorite lines growing up, she, especially normally when she was standing at the, the door of my bedroom looking in. Were you born in a barn? <laughs> she wasn't asking me. She was saying, you better clean this place up. See, we say what we don't mean. By the way, that line, Mary could never use that line. <laughs> Think about it. You'll get it. You'll laugh later. If there's, if there's anyone we should be straight with, we should just be open and honest and transparent with, it should be Jesus. Because it's silly to not be. It, it, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. He's your creator. You think he doesn't know what you're thinking? You think he doesn't know the, the attitude behind your words? So we might as well just shoot straight with him. But because Mary said what she didn't mean, Jesus answered what she meant and not what she said. Because he got it. He understood. And he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now, that's a difficult phrase. And, and theologians have, have kicked that around and conjectured about that for, for generations and um, still is, is a little bit of a mystery, still has a, a lot of variation to it. Um, on the surface, when we read it, it sounds harsh. It, it sounds corrective. Um, it, it sounds dismissive or even a, a rejection, a refusal. But without taking a lot of time, just know that's that's not the case. There's a whole lot lost in translation in this scenario. First of all, to address her as woman was not a put down. It was an acceptable, it's actually the opposite of that. It was a respectful addressing of someone to say woman or madam. It was, Jesus was not disrespecting her in any way. Um, it was, uh, there was affection attached to it. 
I used to call my mom by her name, and she'd let me get away with it. And I used to say, every now and then, I, just to get her attention, Mary Lou, and she'd smile, usually. Usually. So there's no disrespect here. Um, but Jesus was using this opportunity to, to, to broaden Mary's view or expectation of him. This is what I pull out of our text for us today. Um, that he wasn't rejecting her appeal. Okay, in fact, we know that can't be the case because he actually satisfied what she was really asking him. He was, he was going to fix the thirst problem. He was going to restore the wine issue. Okay, so he wasn't rejecting her appeal, but he was adjusting her approach. All right? She came to him with an assignment. Because when she said that they have no wine, she was really giving him an assignment. This is not your issue. You, you need to do something about this so that it's, it's not a problem. And it, she was coming to her son, and she was, to a degree, giving instructions to her son. But Jesus was at a different place at this time, and he was trying to get married to catch up with where he was in life. Jesus has now launched his public ministry. It's early on, but he's, he's been baptized by John. He's been tempted in the wilderness by the devil. He's returned in the power of the Spirit. He's begun preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. He's begun gathering disciples, calling. In fact, some of them are with him at the wedding. So he has launched his public, his whole focus has shifted. When he says, my hour has not yet come, Jesus was saying, my life is fixed from now on. I, he, he had a laser focus. Everything Jesus said and did in, in this new season of his life was, was aimed at that hour, meaning the time of his death and resurrection, the purpose for which he came. It's why the Father sent him. It was whole, his whole reason for being on the earth. I've come for my hour. And so when he says my hour is not yet come, he's saying this isn't necessarily in line. And not so much what you're asking me to do, but the way in which you're asking me. He, he, was, he was saying this is a new day. Jesus wasn't scolding her, her, scolding her, but he was adjusting or realigning their relationship. He was saying, listen, woman, no matter how you have known and seen me up until now, I am more and better than that. You've known me as the son of man, but you're going to know me and see me as the son of God. You've loved me as your son, but there's coming a time soon where you're going to bow before me as your Lord. You've known me in the light of my incarnation, but soon you're going to worship me in the light of my resurrection. You're concerned about people being thirsty. I'm the living water. If they'll drink of me, they'll never thirst again. Jesus is trying to realign Mary's thinking of who he is. You're asking me to save the wedding. You're thinking too small. I've come to save the world. Mary knew that Jesus had a special call on his life. But she thought that call, like everyone else who considered him Messiah, 
was that he was going to take on Rome. And he was going to set Israel free politically. But Jesus came to take on the devil. And to set people free from sin and death. It was a whole different calling. Mary wasn't aware of that. And Jesus is trying to realign her understanding with who he really is. And Jesus is here saying the same thing to you and I today. In this situation, in your season of life, in your um, thirst or hungers, Jesus is saying, however you've known me up until now, I'm more and better than that. I'm more and better than that. Whatever he's done for you in the past, he's more and better than that. Don't get locked on yesterday because you'll rob yourself of the more and better of tomorrow. He's been faithful yesterday, hallelujah, but he's more and better than what you've known him to be. He's been provider yesterday, protector yesterday, but he's more and better than what you've known him to be. Even at a time of dryness that we're experiencing or, or lack or loss, he's more and better. If you'll trust him, if we'll seek him with our whole heart, we'll find that he's more and better in every situation, in every circumstance. Even in time of pandemic, in time of crisis, in time of need, you'll find that he's more and better. You don't need not run out of wine because he's more and better. Jesus took the stone water jars in the story. Common, ordinary. They were used for washing. So they had... They were dirty. They were distasteful, unattractive, undesirable. They were, they were tasteless or, or worse than that. And he turned the water into something brand new, something more and better. The master of the feast affirmed that fact. You save the best for last. This is more and better than what, you, what we started with. And he can do the same thing in our lives. He can do the same thing in your life. He could take your life and make it more and better. He could take those areas of dryness, those areas of thirst. He can take painful, dark, loss, unknown, undesired circumstances. And he can be and will be more and better. In the midst of your circumstance, he can give joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. He can give peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense, but yet there it is. He can give you mercy that comes new and fresh each and every day. He gives you a love that's unending and unconditional, more and better. And his resources never run out. His resources are never exhausted. He's more and better, the Bible says, that you could even ask or think. He's more and better. He's more and better. Lydia, why don't you come? I need to end this thing. I have one more point, and it's quick. Because we're not exempt. We're, we're in this story. We, we have situations in life that come upon us where we run out of wine. We run out of strength. We run out of energy. We run out of hope. We run out of faith. We run out of confidence. We, we run out of, of patience. We, we run out of. Jesus is coming to us now and he's saying, listen, don't, 
you need a clear picture of who I am. You need a reminder of who it is that's involved in your life. And no matter how bad this looks, I'm more and better. And I can make it turn out for your good. More and better than you could ever do it by yourself. Or that anyone or anything could offer it to you. So here's my last point. Backstage lesson. Leave it in his hands. Leave it in his hands. That's what Mary did. Mary instantly changed. Jesus makes his statement to her. She doesn't argue. She doesn't question. She doesn't say, well, what if? Or what does that mean? Or... Not she instantly. She says, whatever he says, do it. She just leaves it in his hands. Whatever he says, do it. That should be how we live our lives. Bringing everything to him. And whatever he says, do it. Whatever he instructs, do it. Don't debate. Don't ask him to, he always has to explain himself so you have full understanding. Just obey. Just do it. See, so she let go of it. She didn't know what he was going to do. He could have turned to the, to the servants and said, that's okay, guys, just go back to your duties and done nothing. She didn't know, but she let go of it. And that's, that's the key. Do whatever he tells you. Leave it in his hands. Because Mary did know one thing about Jesus, and we know it too. Jesus, whatever he does, he'll always do what's right. You get that? He'll always do what's right for his glory and for your good. He'll always do that if we'll trust him, if we'll truly turn over and let go. So let's, as we come into a close here, just, just close your eyes. Bow your head, close your eyes for a minute. And just sort of think within yourself and with the Spirit of God. Where, where in your life are there areas of your life where you've run out of wine? You're not experiencing joy or peace or satisfaction. And maybe much the opposite. It's not just the absence of those things, but you're recognizing a thirst or a dryness, a shortage, a loss of things that once you had that were good and they seem to have run out. If you're here now, and whether in this room or watching online, I, I encourage you in this moment, be fully present. Don't be distracted. L let, let the Holy Spirit of God speak to you. And just... Remember, tell him the truth. He knows. So just tell him the truth. God, I, I don't understand this part of my life right now. Or this thing is really hurting me right now or confusing me right now. Or I don't know what happened. I, I used to have such joy and contentment, and, and that just seems to have disappeared on me. God, just, just tell him. And dare to believe that he speaks back to you through his word today and says, if you'll leave it in my hands, you'll find that I'm more and better. If you'll leave it in my hands and do what I instruct, 
Lord, I don't, I don't know what you're instructing. I'm not hearing anything. Give him, wait on him. Wait on him. Spend time in his word. Well, I already do that. Spend more time in his word. Leave it in his hands. And the end of the story is wonderful because two things happen. Verse 12, it says that his glory was manifested among them. And that is, says his disciples believed their faith was built up. And that same thing will happen in your circumstance, in your life. He'll be glorified and your faith will be increased. Because they all drank of the new wine. And they're all satisfied. Because Mary chose. She chose. to take it to Jesus and leave it in his hands. Praise God. Let's just stand as we close our time. I'm going to close in prayer, but you pray for yourself. The, the Lord can hear more than one prayer at a time. And turn over whatever you need to turn over. And we're going to trust that in this, in this new year, this be a year that joy returns to you. Peace returns to you. Contentment returns to you. Hope returns to you. Confidence comes back to you. Boldness comes to you. Father, here we are. Thank you for your word that teaches, that instructs. Thank you for the guidance it brings us. Thank you for the encouragement it brings us. Thank you for the life that it brings us because your word is alive. And Lord, we hear it today. And we put ourselves into this biblical account. And I pray that, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you plant seeds of truth in every one of our hearts. And that... We receive that seed and that it, it takes root and multiplies and brings a fruitfulness in our lives. Lord, we, we give you those areas of thirst, of dryness, those areas where we have lost the wine of your Holy Spirit. Life gets busy. Things get hard. Experiences come our way. But for our, Father, today we're refocusing our attention again on you. We're bringing those things to you, and, and we're leaving them in your hands, knowing that whatever you tell us to do will bring about an end that will be glorious, that will be beneficial, that will restore, that will satisfy every thirst and restore to us the fresh wine of the Spirit of God in our lives. So Lord, I thank you today for this time of gathering. I thank you for your people. I pray your, pray your blessing rests on them. I pray, Lord, that you use them, inspire them by your spirit to live their lives on stage for your glory. Continue to teach us backstage, but let us use what we learn and proclaim it in front of the world in which we live so that we represent you well. 
Dismiss us today with your peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.